Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is surrendering to grief, and our guest is Iris Krasno. Iris, whose parents survived the Holocaust, is a journalist and author of Surrendering to Motherhood, the New York Times bestseller, Surrendering to Marriage and Surrendering to Yourself, all published by Miramax Books, as well as the newly released I Am My Mother's Daughter basic books. Her writing has been featured in many national publications. She's been a guest on numerous national radio and television programs, including Oprah. Iris is a journalism professor at American University and lives with her husband and four sons in Annapolis, Maryland. Welcome to the show, Iris. Thank you both, mother and daughter. How great. <laughs> it's so great to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed reading your uh, book, I Am My Mother's Daughter. Um, yeah. Well, you know, just listening to you talk, it's so true when you lose someone. When I wrote the book, um, which was my most recent book, um, I my mother was still alive, um, but I did write it, it, the subhead of the book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, colon, Making Peace with Mom Before It's Too Late. Um I'm always painfully conscious um, of the eggshell thin line that separates life from death. Um, And I think we all need to be, uh, we don't need to lose a loved one to snap into urgency about loving our loved ones in this moment. And that's something that I really, I would say, is the theme of all my work, is to love now because you never know what life holds for you and that message of urgency and immediacy and love now fully is really what you take away from being the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. My mother um, was in Warsaw, Poland, unfortunately, when the Nazis decided that every Jew alive in Europe needed to die and that meant that her parents and her brothers and sisters and seven nieces and nephews were part of that incineration. Um, How did she survive? She survived by living with a French family and um, pretending that she was Catholic. Um, This was her teens and, Mm -hmm. you know, and she lived, she didn't come to the United States until she was 32 years old. So she pretended she was Catholic. She was a hidden child, which is what Mm -hmm. a lot of Jews at those times did, is they they just uh, falsified their identities and they were lucky. And I might say also you're going to hit your kids and dogs. I'm I'm in the Adirondacks on an <laughs> island right now, working at a summer camp where mm-hmm. my children all go. It's my eighth summer here, so if you hear sounds of wildlife, that is because <laughs> I'm literally on an island. So that's great. So with, your four with, your four sons are there. Yes, I'm with 180 um, boys, ages six to 16. Wow. Um, and a staff that is like 40, 40 or 50 staff members, ranging in ages from. 18 to 72. I'm right in the middle. It is. It's, it's, Especially you know, for boys. It's wonderful. Well, it's interesting because I'm going to tell you this. I, as you, you know, I have a radio show on Voice of America called Connecting Women, and ironically, my show is going to be about summer camp at 2 o'clock today. Oh, I'm so excited to join. Tell our audience how they get to that. They get to that by clicking on voiceamerica.com, clicking on the Women's Channel, and clicking on Connecting Women, which is live from 2 to 3 East Coast time today. And that's also archived on Voice America. Yes, it's also archived on Voice America. But I just, you know, when you were talking about 
your son and your brother, and I just, I, I think that women particularly really know that in order to fill their hearts and their grief, they need to keep moving and they need to reach out to other people. You know, and so this compassionate heart, this empathetic heart, which is, which is really what healed, is healing you, even though you're never healed. And for me, just to reach out to other women who don't have parents. I'm an orphan now, and mm-hmm. so I don't have parents. And that feeling is so unbelievably painful, but yet at the same time it's emancipating. Uh, that's an interesting thought. I felt that way when my mother passed away, too. But let me, I know our audience is wanting to know more about your mother, how mm-hmm. she got uh, out of Europe, or how she ended up with the French family. Let's just kind of finish that and then move on to other things. How did she, did all of her siblings go with other families? No, it, um, just, uh, it's such a long story, but I'm going to make it short. Good. Um, <laughs> my, when, when, the Nazis um, invaded Poland. Um, you know, all the Polish families that were Jewish in, in Warsaw, many of them, nobody could ever imagine that they were going to try to burn every Jew. My mother was the youngest of four children, and her, her next older sibling was 18 years older than her. So her three other siblings were married with kids of their own, and her mother said to her, Helene, you know, we're going to send you to France to live with relatives because, you know, this is going to be a very hard time and we'll get you when this is over. Well, it was never over, you know. It it just, my mother got to France and it was a mess there and she didn't even find her cousin. And she found a French woman named Poupette, who was a Catholic, who my mother just found in a cafe. And this woman just loved my mother immediately. And she took her into her home and it turned out Poupette, was hiding her own Jewish husband in her attic. His name was Raphael. And Pupette said to my mother, listen, you know, because Hitler was, had drawn these hideous caricatures of what Jews were supposed to look like, huge noses, very curly hair. And, you know, my whole family in Israel, they're all blondes, so that's just BS, you know. Right. And my mother looked nothing like these hideous characters, and Pupette said to her, look, nobody's going to know you're Jewish. You don't look like these pictures. You live with me. You change your last name. So my mother changed her identity, burned her papers, never wore a yellow Jewish star like everybody was ordered, and lived through the war mm-hmm. as a usher in a movie house. And she used to escort Nazi soldiers to her seat, their seat. And when she was 31 years old, she finally came to the United States with cousins, and she moved to Chicago where they were and met my father, who was a bachelor, who was from, his parents were from Russia. He was not in the Holocaust. He came to America from Russia, and they lived happily ever after until he died. And they had three children, and um, my mother... that sounds like your next book to me. (laughs) Actually, my next book is not about that. My sister, my next book is about the power of female friendships, and that's where I was going, you know, I, I know I should, but you know... Ah, my mother's not here anymore. So when she and your died, passed away in December, right? Yep, December 18th, and that was what I was mm-hmm. going to tell you, Gloria, when we were talking earlier. Um, I feel because my mother knew I loved her, and because she wait, let's see, because my mother knew I loved her, and because I know that she totally loved me. There's this 
sense of completion um, and, and, and emancipation in my heart. And because she survived insurmountable odds, the gift she left me is I can do whatever I damn have to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can do it. She did it. If this woman's entire family was burnt when she was in her teens, I'm 52 years old. I can live without my parents. It's hard. It hurts. But it's much harder, as you know, with premature deaths in your family. Right. You know, when someone dies and you, it's totally unexpected. Or, or, or as you say, and unresolved. give the encouragement to work with your mother and if you're having issues with her now or some other family members that you love um, before they do pass away. Well, Iris, I, I want to talk to you just a little bit about um, the surrendering. You've written three mm-hmm. three surrendering books. Talk, talk a little bit about surrendering, surrendering to motherhood, surrendering to marriage, surrendering to yourself. What does that mean to you? Well, that's a great question, and uh, it's a controversial concept because I know the first time that I um, surrendering to motherhood, First of all, my concept of surrendering is yielding to the higher power of something. Therefore, surrendering is a victory and not a defeat. Hmm. Um, Surrendering to Motherhood came out 10 years ago, and I was so, um, I was on the Oprah show for that book, and it was really because of the controversy that surrendering to motherhood to me meant, at the time, I had four children under the age of three. Uh, Twins made that happen, one husband. Uh, four kids, and I decided to leave daily journalism and surrender to my children. What a novel idea, huh? Mm-hmm. And so um, I was really eaten up, beaten up um, by feminists, and I'm a feminist, by the way, so it felt funny, that women's war, um, and it was controversial. So surrendering in that instance meant the choice to leave an adrenaline-laced pump, you know, an adrenaline-laced career of global journalism, I was the national feature writer for United Press International, to work at home and and raise my own children. Now, I'm Um, curious, what did your mother, how did your mother feel about that, about your career and all that? Did she have any input or intake on it? um, My mom was always incredibly proud of me, and I think that my mother stayed home with us, and she thought that women ought to, you know, that she knew that I was accomplished in my field and that she always supported me. That's but, great. you know, I can tell you also, my mother loved when I used to, you know, call her from foreign countries and say, oh, I'm interviewing the Queen of Jordan this week, which I did do. But my mother was also very funny in terms of getting information wrong since she was from a different country and culture. Like, for the, all those years, I was the national feature writer for United Press International, which is UPI. She used to tell her friends that I was traveling the world for UPS. <laughs> and so people, yeah, people were like, oh, that's great. You know, you must be really proud of her. She's a male woman. But, you know, the thing that I want to tell you, um, and by the way, I just want to share with listeners of your wonderful show that if they want to communicate with me, iriskrasno.com, I would love to hear from people who are your audience, because, you know, I love women who are connecting with each other like this. But my and, and you do that on your show, right? Which I do, Connecting Women. I do. I just, right? I, 2 o'clock, 2 to 3, my show, Connecting Women on voiceamerica.com. All I do is connect women and issues. And, you know, I think that, frankly, my fourth book, which is called I Am My Mother's Daughter, it could have been called Surrendering to Your Mother, because I do believe that even the daughter's that, you know, have the worst times with their mother. And I found out that I was, I had it pretty easy considering some of the stories I heard. 
they need to let go. And if you can't forgive, you know, I really believe in that Buddhist concept of letting go and moving on. Let now, go. Now you and, might not even think about that. Now, your mother died in December, and say some of our audience have had family members who have died and they have not resolved things. I think there's still a surrendering that can happen afterward. Absolutely. Well, you know, you raise an interesting point, and I know this is your line of work. That's why I was so excited to really be so focused and come on this show because it's really, here's what I found out. And, and A, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a journalist who asks hundreds of people nosy and embarrassing questions. <laughs> and the good news is shrinks write me all the time and say, wow, people tell you what they don't even tell us. And the most heartbreaking stories that I excavated in my work were from women whose mothers had died without that daughter being able to say, look, Mom, I'm sorry, you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, I love you anyway. The most wrenching experience is to lose a mother and be a daughter and have her die and not be, you can't say you're sorry at a funeral. Well, actually, we have some uh, some tricks. I, I don't know if they're oh. tricks or some ritual, ritual kind of things that you can do. You know, writing letters to people, having them write a letter back to you even though they have passed away. Um, you know, having some kind of ritual where you write a letter a and burn it and plant a rose or, you well, know, different ways like that. It's so interesting that you said that because I was going to say that one of the women, what, what I was going to say before you, you know, injected that, of course, if we thought we could never get over it, we'd all be doomed to desperate lives. What I was going to say is usually, you know, one of the women in my books, she loves her mother. She's having the best relationship she's ever had in her life with her mother, and her mother's been dead for five years. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that resurrection that you're talking about. This is a woman, and I hope I can say this on your show. I promise I won't swear. But this is a woman who went to her mother's deathbed, and her mother flipped her the finger and then died. Mm -hmm. Wow. She was so angry at her daughter. And her daughter had to work through that, and she did. Her mother came to her in a dream Mm -hmm. and said, Honey, I love you. I'm sorry. It was, you know, I didn't mean it. I love you. And it came to her in such a powerful, real dream. And I know you've heard this before. Yeah, the dreams are amazing, aren't they, Heidi? They are. They're powerful. And they're real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's being open to these kind of things, don't you? Well, I think that if you're not open to them, as I said, you're going to be on a shrink's couch for the rest of your life. You know, here's here's how I think, and this is something I know that you're going to ask me because you both are such good interviewers. You're going to say, what's the lasting gift your mother gave you or something? And I think that we just have to be perennial optimists. You know, if I thought it's never over, you know, my mother... No matter what happened to her, she used to get out of bed every morning, put a smile on her face, even, by the way, when she lost her lower left leg three years ago, mm-hmm. which is how she eventually died. She still put on her wig and she put on her clothes and she put a pashima over her stump and she was wheeled down the street and she had a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, she taught you fearlessness and resilience. Absolutely. I mean... If Hitler didn't get me, nothing will. That's what she used to say to her kids. Now, uh, I was wondering, um, for our audience who just tuned in, your mother was a survivor of the Holocaust and her whole family uh, died in the Holocaust. I was wondering if um, you ever heard anything from her. I'm sure at times she must have had survival guilt. And also I was wondering if she had any anger towards her family for sending her away and mm-hmm. she should have been with them or did you ever hear anything like that? She was her? very young. 
she had nothing but gratitude for the life. My mother lived in a beautiful life after that. Mm-hmm. She had three children who had done well and loved her back. And, and my mother was about life, not death. Now, isn't, she that, also, isn't that amazing that she was able to take that kind yes. of stance? Uh, yes. Now, how old was she again when she went to... Uh, she was in her teens, and then yeah. she came to the United States, I mean, seven years she later. Was, when she went to live with the French family, she was in her teens. Yeah. I, I, I think that's amazing. Don't you, Heidi, that she was, you know, able to keep that kind of movement? The, the optimism and the resilience, yes. Yeah, well, what a, what a uh, gift for you as a story, Iris. I mean, we are so involved with our stories of our family. Uh, you know what? I can tell you that the greatest gift you can give a child, because I was given it, and I'm trying to give... It to my four sons is to get your butt out of bed in the morning and move forward and realize you're not in Iraq, you're not in Afghanistan, and you've got this life to lead and this contribution to make. And my mother... I, wait now, a minute. Before you say that, I want to say, <laughs> make a comment about that because you just said something that really keys mm-hmm. in for me. You've got this contribution to make. I think for our folks out there who are suffering so mm-hmm. badly through their mm-hmm. losses, if they can hold on to that hope and that they will eventually feel that they have a contribution to make. Right now, they may not feel like it. They may be having trouble getting out of the shower, matching their shoes, mm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but Well, you know what? That's should. what saves us as women, as people, is to say, listen, I have this hole in my heart, and I'm going to go fill someone else's heart. You know, I really feel like just gifted. And in, in this issue of ARP the magazine, um, you know, if you're 50 and you admit it, you get ARP the magazine. If you right. find, and I have an, an article in this issue oh, great. called um, A Daughter Finds Herself After Her Mother Dies. And I, I feel as if if you really truly get your mother and get as an understand and have closure, what you do when she dies is you take the best of her leave the worst behind because everyone's mm-hmm. imperfect, mm-hmm. and you become a formidable blend of the two creatures. Like, my mother is burning in me. Mm-hmm. You know, that power is, like, unstoppable. And it look out, you know, and, and look out. So what am I supposed to do with my life? Cry on a couch? She didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because it's such a, a chain. I mean, here you are mm-hmm. telling us. I'm inspired by this, aren't you, Heidi? Absolutely. By your mother, mm-hmm. and then we we have women listening to us, and they're hearing us, mm-hmm. and, and feel that and uh, that burning you're talking about. But uh, for those folks out there who are newly bereaved, we want to say that we know that life can be tough for you right now, and and sometimes it's just hang in and survive for you know a certain amount of time until you're feeling like you can move forward. We know well, it's, it's difficult. You know, there's so many days, and I know that 24 years later, both of you, I mean, when my heart is just so raw for your loss, and you, it never goes away. And, you know, you, you want to call the person, you want to touch the person, and death is, is... And you want to smell the person. You want to smell. Death is the final one. Interesting smell, and I know you do spiritual work. Um, you know, when I went to my mother's apartment, and we still haven't dismantled it, I grabbed her lipstick and her Shalimar, and uh-huh. I just uh, those are the only two things I wanted. My sister's like, "Well, who gets the fur coat?" And you know, and I don't Shalimar need it. is tall. Her audience. smell, it's a perfume, mm-hmm. Shalimar. It's yeah. an old perfume, Guerlain, and um, you and know, so you I don't can smell that lipstick and perfume. That is I well, and I'm wearing the lipstick. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this lipstick's almost done. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to get a little lipstick. Um, uh, but you know. 
That's post- great. But one thing I want to say, Iris, is Heidi and I talk a little bit about your mission and closure. We talk a little bit about continuing bonds and how we continue the bonds with our parents and what or with other family members after they've died. And I'm just thinking how fabulous of your mother's lipstick right. and the kisses. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a little shrine to her in my house that I talk to. I've got this great picture, and I put it on a silk scarf she used to wear, and I have this pumpkin spice candle that she loved when she visited me. And so when I, just, when I feel like talking to her, I talk to her. Mm-hmm. Iris, we, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions before you leave her show. Uh, first of all, do you, do you miss not having a grandmother? Uh, you know, um, it's really interesting, and we've been talking about this. I never think about what I don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't focus. And, 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 again, it might be denial. Um, you know, a shrink would probably have a heyday with me because I tend to just really move forward. Well, and that not... was kind of your mother's gift. Yeah. That's I, what I'm thinking. Yeah, I never thought about, um, you know, my mother lost her mother when she was 17 and my father's mother lived until I was 16. So I had a grandmother who for I had one grandmother till she was in her late 80s but she was as, about as grandmotherly as, you know, I can't even think of the mo, you know, lots of lipstick, white gloves, cooked, you know, none. You know, she wasn't maternal, but I loved having that kind of You know what I do miss and I can be honest about I have four sons and interesting when I was writing, I am my mother's daughter. I am my mother's daughter, and I have no daughters. Right. Um, and so that's what I kind of feel in my heart is I hope my sons marry women who love me and want me in their house and want my jewelry. They better love me if they're getting no jewelry. <laughs> and maybe you'll have granddaughter. Maybe you'll have a granddaughter. Yeah, you know, but I love children, obviously. I'm in a summer camp. Um, but I think that's what I'm noticing is that kind of, I miss my mother because she was my link to myself. And I have a sister, thank God, mm-hmm. who's my link to myself. I think that's what we all need to feel. And that's the whole gist of my surrendering books is really how to feel most connected to yourself. And I think it's by loving the people closest to you and realizing they could be gone in a finger snap. You know, I always think that. And that's maybe that's my survivor's guilt. Um, is that I always am very, very aware when I say goodbye to someone, whether they live down the street or across the world, that that could be it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, could you give our audience, stories are so important, what was one story your mother gave you that, that strengthened you or mm-hmm. that was important to you? A quick yeah, that's quick. And I, before I tell you that, I want to just say one more time that I'd love people to connect not only with Gloria and Heidi, but with me too, if you would, at iriscrasno.com. This is the most important story my mother told me. And I'm so happy you asked. <laughs> I, would have, I would have forgotten. Um, my mother uh, was at home one day, and Nazi soldiers came to her house. And they told her, Helene, we know you're Jewish. We know that you're really Helene Steinberg. And so she was in Paris. Yes, she was in Paris. Poupette wasn't home. She um, was home alone. And Nazis came to her door and said, Helene, we know. We have been informed that you are really Jewish and you must come with us. Mm -hmm. And my mother went into the kitchen and got the biggest, sharpest knife 
And she handed it to the Nazi soldier. She said the one that looked most like a father. And she got down on her knees and she said, if you're going to take me, you've got to take me dead because I'm not going with you. And maybe you will make a choice based on the fact of whether this was your daughter in this Mm -hmm. situation because I'm not going with you. You're going to have to kill me. Wow. And they left her. They left. They turned around. They they dropped the knife and they left. And you know what? God love her. How gutsy is that? Absolutely. You know, and that's my story. Child to do that. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know what? No matter what happens to me, I look fear in the face, and I really feel, for better or worse, like a fearless person. And Mm -hmm. and people don't always like that. But I'm the one they call. I'm the one that gets the three a.m. calls. When somebody's husband is sick or when, you know, I, I, this is my favorite call. It's so sad, but I have a girlfriend who finally divorced her philandering husband and she used to always call me, okay, Iris, I know where he is. Come, I'm coming to get you. We're going to go over there. <laughs> and we'd knock on the door of his girlfriend, you know, but I'd always do it because mm-hmm. she's my girlfriend. Right. Anyway. And, yeah, and so, so she really gave you what? Fearlessness, ambition to help others, um, Pride in being Jewish. The Jews have survived all this stuff for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, she left. You know what she gave me also? She stuck around long enough for me to be a grown-up. You know, she didn't leave me when I was in my floundering 20s or 30s, and I was floundering in my 40s. And the truth be known, I'm still growing up. We all are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it hurts not to have a mother. I, I think no one loves you like your mother loves you. You know, let's just be right. honest. Well, yeah. even mm-hmm. for some of our audience, maybe they didn't have a mother who, you know, who was there for them. But there was probably a primary caregiver, too. What about that? I mean, we've, well, got, we've got situations now where men are really stepping up. They sure are. Being the primary mm-hmm. caregivers. I think there's, I, I know all this, and, you know, I'm like a trend groupie, but I can tell you, Again, I'm not a shrink. I'm just a 52-year-old old hippie, young hippie, <laughs> with four wild teenage sons. <laughs> I think the mother-daughter love, even when it feels like loathing, is the most, it's that ancient, primal, biblical, matriarchal link that there's just nothing like it. And when you are cut from that chain, it is staggering. There's a lot, that probably maybe a longing just you're nobody's child anymore. I mean, I don't know if you have your parents. Gloria, do you have your parents? No, no, both of my parents passed away. So what is this feeling of? of <laughs> it's, it, it, it's an interesting feeling uh, when you when you said that um, that there is also kind of uh, it's strange. There's a sadness, but a freedom in a way. It's an emancipation, emancipation because it, there's nobody that you have to please anymore. Well, that's, that's what my husband said. He said, I've always done everything to make my parents proud, and now they're not here. Heidi, your, your husband is an orphan? And he's, he's, an, he's got, his father's dead and his mother's got severe Alzheimer late stages. You know what? You don't have, what I wrote in this article, and I, now I can write, you know, I used to always worry about my books, like when I was on the Today Show and stuff. Well, by the way, I have to tell you, when I was on the Today Show, my mother was alive for the second time I was on, mm-hmm. um, and she watched me, and I called her, and I said, and this was recently, I said, Mom, how did I do? And she goes, would it have killed you to put a little lipstick on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, your hair was in your eyes, you know, she was so... She was so motherly. But, you know, there's a feeling, I always worried when I wrote books that they'd be too sexy or too raw. 
Right. Now I can write whatever I damn please. Right. You Your know, mother's the, not going to critique them. Nobody's going to critique them. <laughs> I mean, my husband is... It, men are different, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Iris, your mother yeah. has only been dead since December. Short time. Very short. That's I know I'm going to go through others. If you call me in a year, I'll probably be a different animal. <laughs> and what do you miss most about her? Well, I miss her voice. You know, I think you just miss their voice, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, you just want to say, hi, Mom. In fact, when the two of you um, just connected and you said, Heidi, and Heidi said, hi, Mom, mm-hmm. I just miss saying that. Right. Right, yeah. You know, I miss, um, but, you know, I I am happy to have had her so long. And I snap into immediate gratitude mode when I feel like I'm becoming too morose. Which, you know, I'm not. I know I sound, you know, like the Energizer Bunny here. But, um, you know, we all have our grief and, and mm-hmm. really feelings of blackness. Like, oh, my God, how it, do, it, can I really never call her again? I think that that's probably what you most commonly hear, don't you? Well, I know for myself, uh, even now, after, uh, let's see, I think she died about 21 years ago or something, I have a question I really wish I could ask mm-hmm. her. Yeah, we can't do that anymore. Yeah, so we call our girlfriends. That's my next book. I'm doing a book on the power of female friendships and why girlfriends would die without each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just need to connect in any way we can. And in many ways, friends have become the new family. Um, because of all our, you know, you live on one coast, Heidi lives on the other, and how do we do it? Right. Your friends are your chosen family. Your friends are the chosen family, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of it's till death do you part if you pick wisely. So anyway, I'm going to um, the dining hall with my 180 campers here at Racket Lake Boys Camp where I'll be reporting live from oh my gosh. for Connecting Women on Voice America, your channel. And I can't wait to have the two of you on on my show. And all I can say to the two of you is you are so lucky to have each other, but I know you know that. <laughs> we do. We have a lot we of friends in the show together, do. Honey. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Iris, um, give us your website again for the folks out there. It's Iris Krasno, I-R-I-S-K-R-A-S-N-O-W, one word, lowercase, dot com. And, you know, I love it when people um, communicate with me, as I know you love it when people connect with you, because then we hear the real voices out there, don't we? Absolutely. And um, I wanted to say that you've got a wonderful website on all your books. Uh, You can go in and really take a little read of some of um, Iris' books that she's written, and it's a great website. Iris, do you have any little piece of advice or thought you want to leave our audience with before you go? Call your mothers and tell them you're sorry and you love them, even if you're not sorry one bit. (laughs) And what if your mother's passed away and you didn't get to tell her? You know what? Call your mother and say you're sorry and you love her and her spirit is everywhere. I mean, where does people die and they're still, you know, nobody ever really leaves. That's why I love physics and chemistry and sciences, they don't really leave, do they? No. And I was just thinking, unplug your telephone and call her up. Right. Yeah, the, the energy, the energy is so full. I said earlier, is my mother lives within me, and it's like a lookout world. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Great. So anyway, I can't wait to meet the two of you in person, and you have a wonderful message for people um, who need it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and have a great time at the camp there. 
Thank you both. Thank you, Iris. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.